Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp on Duck Stream. I'm your host, Alexis Downey. I hope you're having a great start to your week wherever you are listening from. The Ducks are coming off a 2-1 loss Sunday night at Crypto.com Arena against the LA Kings. Now Rocco Grimaldi continues on to have a great preseason as he netted the only goal of the night for the Ducks just 42 seconds into the game. However, the penalty kill was the problem for the team as they allowed the Kings two goals on the night during the power play. But John Gibson had a strong night in net, stopping 31 of 33 shots. Now, the Ducks are 3-2 in the preseason with just two games left, and both of which will be against our freeway face-off foes up north, the Kings. With the season around the corner and the national broadcast schedule on the docket, NHL on TNT is gearing up for their second season with NHL rights. And if you didn't tune in last season for their Wednesday night broadcast, I really suggest you do it because they have some of the most entertaining personalities. I mean, what's better than hearing from the great one in Wayne Gretzky talking about hockey? Now, the host of the crew, Liam McHugh, hopped on Light the Lamp to share more about what goes on behind the scenes and what to expect this season. Listen to it in this next segment. Happy to welcome in now on Light the Lamp, NHL on TNT host, Liam McHugh. Liam, great to have you join me for the first time on Duckstream. It's great to be on. It, it feels like, uh, I know you're out west, and it probably doesn't feel like hockey weather, but <laughs> it's cooling off here in New York, and it, it, it feels like it's starting to change. And uh, I don't know, I get that feeling now where, Hockey's just around the corner. We get a preseason game next week and then be out in Denver for the uh, banner raising. So I'm, I'm fired up. You feeling those jitters? A little bit. You know, it, it's been cool. I, I love the guys I work with so much at Turner. Uh, and they've been just firing off texts nonstop over the past week. I can tell that, that they're really into it. So, uh, you know, there were definitely jitters last year. And now it's just more uh, anticipation. I, I can't wait to get going. Well, how did you enjoy your off season? Did you get to do any traveling, spend time with family? Uh, it was great. Um, first time in a very, very long time that uh, hockey off season actually meant a like full off season for me, uh, which was cool. I have three little kids, so I was around uh, quite a bit, which my boys who were fourth and third grade thought was awesome. And then like a month later, we're like, why are you still here? Like, what, shouldn't you have a job and be doing something? Uh, and outside of that, you know, listen, my wife's family's from Minnesota, uh, up North on a lake. So we do a lot of outdoor stuff and, uh, it's been great, but I think I'm feeling the same feeling that my kids had, uh, which is I'm ready to go. And it's good that it's right around the corner. Cause I don't know, I'm pretty amped up and, uh, I love my family, but I also don't want them to get sick of me. And I think I'm at that point right now. So. Have your boys gotten involved in hockey? No, not really. It's funny. They play almost everything else. And uh, I think because of what I do and because my wife is, you know, she's from Minnesota and she knows what the lifestyle is like, uh, we kind of looked at each other and said, you know, unless they beg for this, unless this is exactly what they know they want to do, mm -hmm. we're not going to really push it. And they're interested and they're fans. They're both Islander fans. They've been to a bunch of games. Uh and they play almost every other sport. We, you know, the, lacrosse is enormous here and they're ready, even though they're seven and nine, they play all year round. Uh, so they have enough to do. They're good. And I'm happy with them just being casual fans. And that's, that's good enough for me. So uh, it's, it's a good balance. Do they get to watch you on TV? Do they like to do that? Uh, not that much, <laughs> to be honest. It's so funny. It's, it's so normalized mm -hmm. for them now, you know, and I think that it's, it's jarring for people who, you know, aren't around them a lot. I, I know that they've been at, uh, houses like friends of mine have had my wife and them over when I'm out of town and, you know, the TV will be on, I'll be on it. And they'll walk by and they're like, Oh, look, like dad's on TV. And my kids <laughs> will look right back at them and say like, yeah, dad's at work. <laughs> like we know, like it, it's, it, it's not a big deal. Uh, what was a big deal is that, uh, I got to work with Wayne Gretzky 
mm-hmm. that Charles Barkley came on the show. And the funny thing is for them, it was a big deal because they've seen, they saw Wayne Gretzky in uh, Mighty Ducks and they saw Charles Barkley in Space Jam. So that was it. They're like, these were movie stars. And of course, like people of every single age, they get a huge kick out of Paul Bizonette. Mm-hmm. So they watch more now than they've ever watched <laughs> just because they want to see all the ridiculousness. <laughs> it certainly is very entertaining. But before I get into that, I want to go back a little bit for more on where your passion for hockey and sports comes from growing up. Yeah, well, I grew up on Long Island. And uh, when I was really little, the Islanders were, uh, you know, amazing four straight Stanley Cups and they were gods around here. It was such a big deal. Um, you know, I just remember playing street hockey as a kid and putting the pads on and you pretend you're Billy Smith and, uh, and, and everybody at Islanders post, whether you played or not. And that was kind of the cool thing at the time, like whether, and, and most people on Long Island did not play, uh, it's still the case now, but even fewer people played back then because, you know, it was, there wasn't a lot of ice and it, it was an expensive pastime. Uh, it still is, but it was, you know, prohibitive back then. So you were fans, even though you didn't know the game that well. And, and I just loved it. Uh, I loved, you know, how much basically everyone on Long Island seemed to rally around it. And after that, I, I mean, I grew up an athlete and, uh, grew up in a household where sports mattered. My, my dad was an athlete in college. He was a high school track coach and a teacher, and uh, sports mattered and school mattered. And I think specifically uh, storytelling and journalism mattered. My, my dad was an English teacher. My mother was a librarian, uh, big reading household. So I knew that you know, there was something I wanted to do eventually that could mesh these things. And uh, I was a writer for a while. And then I got into TV and kind of did the whole minor league circuit and worked and worked and finally caught a break and got to New York and not soon, you know, not long after that, I wound up, you know, being able to break into NBC, uh, back when it was versus slash NBC sports. Mm-hmm. God, that was a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and it was cool. I mean, it was, it was great, but the, I think the difference for me at that time was I'd worked a lot in the Midwest and I'd worked in towns where college sports were King and the, uh, and hockey simply was just not a big thing to cover. It, it just, the fans there were not that interested. They'd have a pro team in town. I worked in Oklahoma city. It's a huge sports town, but it's not a hockey town. And to go from something like that to, you know, an extreme every day, you know, knowing every detail of a sport like hockey that you really, I'd been just a casual observer over the you know few years before that was, was a big move, but I, I was lucky. I had a lot of good people. I worked with at NBC and I, I always point out that I was so fortunate to work with Keith Jones, who I, you know, still get to work with the TNT. Uh, he's such a great teammate. And I think it's something that, that the sport truly embodies this idea of, you know, if people are good people, if they're hard workers, uh, you work with them and you, you know, you try to improve everything collectively. And that's what Jonesy was all about. He I think he saw something in me as someone who could host a show, uh, but needed some boning up on the day to day of hockey. Uh, but he was willing to work with me and, uh, you know, I'll be forever grateful. And I, you know, he's one of the great personalities in the sport as well. So I've heard a million stories, you know, (laughs) most of which I can't repeat, but, (laughs) but he's, you know, I'm really fortunate in in that regard. And now it's funny because I mean, I, I went from being a fan as a kid to kind of getting away from it and reporting on a bunch of other sports. And now, uh, you know, it really is my life and, uh, I'm, very, very thrilled that it's going to come this way. You mentioned it. And isn't it interesting how sports culture is so different in different areas of the country? I know I'm from the Midwest and college sports really are the biggest part there. But then you go to, you know, the East Coast and it's it's a lot of professional sports. And obviously there's a lot of really hockey, passionate hockey fans out there as well. I, I just find that very interesting as well. Yeah, I mean, especially I grew up in you know New York area, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it really is such a it's such a pro sports heavy town, and it really is, especially when I was a kid, it was such a baseball town. It was you know it was Yankees and Mets, and and obviously you know football is, is such a dominant force in you know, the NFL. It's such a dominant force in the media now, and it was then. 
but it, you did not talk college sports mm-hmm. uh, ever. I mean, you really didn't. It just wasn't a big part of, of anyone's identity. And then, uh, you know, I worked in Indiana, I worked in Oklahoma and it reversed completely, you know, and, and to the point where when I reported on things, it was way more important to report on, uh, a recruit, like a 17 year old who'd signed with Oklahoma than it was honestly at that time to report on who had won game seven of the Stanley cup final, because people there are so invested every single moment, every single day of their college, their colleges are their pro teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, and obviously we're seeing that more and more today, just with the way sports has changed, but it's what I do like and what I have seen, uh, with the NHL is that the way it's expanded Mm -hmm. is amazing. And it, and it has fit into a lot of these markets that I think a lot of that many people felt it would fail and it's thrived in quite a few of them. And, uh, you know, I, I really look at the Tampa Bay lightning, and the natural predators is these, you know, these prime examples of places where you wouldn't have thought, uh, a, you'd have a dynasty, which we do in modern day dynasty, the Tampa Bay, and they have great fan base and be with Nashville. You have really one of the greatest atmospheres in the country, in North America to watch professional hockey. And that would have been unthinkable to me, uh, when I was back working in the Midwest. So it, it's really cool to see how the sports developed. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it, it, I think, and I have to say this because I, I went to the small markets and I worked around the country. Like I don't know, it, it's such a great thing to get out of your comfort zone. And, like I gained a lot of perspective, and most of my friends who grew up in New York probably, you know, they went to state school, they never left New York, they work in the city, and their lives are great. But the truth is, like I'm I'm thrilled that I got to you know experience the things I got to experience, meet the people I got to meet, and the way that the league has shifted. You know, not only that, but the broadcast angle has shifted a lot too. I mean, with TNT specifically, very entertaining. I, it seems like the two between the broadcasting and the actual hockey, the two are kind of aligning into this new era of the NHL that we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, the cool thing about listen, I, I love my time at NBC, and it, it's always hard to make a change, but one of the benefits of making a change is the idea that you can step back, look at what you've done. How can we do things differently? Uh, what are some of the things you didn't get to do that you'd like to at least try? Maybe they'll work. Maybe they won't. And, uh, I, I found a great home in Turner where they want you to be passionate and have fun and entertain while informing. And, uh, they, you know, this idea of enjoying yourselves on set, enjoying yourself during the broadcast, because that's what sports is supposed to be. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be enjoyable. It's going to make it easier for the viewer to enjoy it. And what we have is we have an ability to come on and showcase this sport and bring out some of the personalities, not only in the analysts, which I think we've definitely done, but really bring it out in the athletes. And I think that was something in a way that was missing from hockey as well. There was this idea that hockey players are like, stale and bland and don't say anything. And, you know, I mean, there's a million features out there about how you can't get a (laughs) hockey player to like begin a sentence with I or me. Like it's always we, which is cool. It's part of the identity. It's great. It's fun. But, uh, we need something more. We need to, to dig in there. And I think one of the great things that we got to do, uh, in year one Turner was we got to reintroduce some athletes to the public in a way that they hadn't, uh, really been exposed and we got to introduce newer and younger athletes like Trevor Zegers, you know, and showcase their personalities and keep them on the air a little bit longer and ask them a few questions that maybe aren't directly related to the game or the system they play in and get their take and throw them off their guard a little bit and see how they react. And the cool thing was the players responded. They really did. You know, they got into it and two months into our show, we started to get the feedback that the players not only, you know, they got the show, they enjoyed it. They wanted to come on and be a part of it. And that that's such a good feeling to know that like, you willing participants and you got people who really want to come on and be honest and show who they are. And I think that's the new thing that we have now with the NHL. These guys aren't robots. Mm-hmm. It's a long year. There are ups and downs. I mean, even when guys were annoyed that they were on, we had dry side on. You could tell like two questions in dry side. I was like, all right, I'm skating around doing this. So he mm-hmm. calls biz whiz, 
He makes like a sarcastic <laughs> comment to him and he's like, all right, I got to go. And it was great. Right. It was so much better than like, than saying nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think the cool thing about our show is like, no one was angry about that. Mm-hmm. Least of all this, like he thought it was awesome. He thought it was yeah. hilarious that he got chirped by Tricide live <laughs> on TV. And, and, and that's, that's the beauty of the game. Like these guys, you know, uh, they're real people. So are we at the desk. We're going to go back and forth. We're going to have fun. And, you know, like no one's taking it too seriously unless it needs to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the interesting things, too, is, I mean, the panel that you're on, the immense talent, not only that you bring, but that everyone else around you brings to the television broadcast. I mean, it, it almost gives viewers, if you've never watched hockey before, it does give that entertainment aspect. But I mean, what is it like for you to be able to be around these guys and bring this entertainment? It's honestly, I'm having more fun doing this job in a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, these guys have energy every week. They have ideas every week. And uh, the cool thing is, you know, while everyone has an ego, because uh, in some ways you wouldn't have gotten to where you are without at least some kind of an ego. Um, everyone is willing to sort of say, well, in the end, what's the best for the show? So while everyone has ideas and everyone has concepts that they think should get into it, not every idea gets in. There's a limited amount of time. And the and once it's decided that this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to put on the show, everyone's all in. You know, there's mm-hmm. no hurt feelings of like, oh, like we should have done this or should have done my way. And truth be told, I mean, if things didn't work, we'll discuss it after and be like, all right, that was a mistake. We should have gone at it a different way. And you just have to be honest about it. But once that decision's made, people are invested and they want the show to succeed. And then after that, it's it's a comfort level. And, and you know, I mean, you work in this business, mm-hmm. so much of it is chemistry. And it's hard to explain why certain people have chemistry and certain people don't and certain panels work and certain panels don't. And, uh, you know, biz and I didn't really know each other before we were on TV I and mean, we knew each other sort of online, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had worked together for seven or eight years. So I knew him really well. And it was a great comfort level there. Rick Tuck and I had a, a few, you know, conversations, uh, we had mutual friends, but, you know, he had never been on TV and we, you know, I think everyone knew that he was, and he still isn't at this point, done coaching. Uh, so, you know, he didn't know how seriously or how much he'd really want to be in it for the long haul. Um, and then, of course, Wayne Gretzky, who, to me, I was more nervous about than anything else. And, <laughs> and, and not even so much because he was Wayne Gretzky, the player, the person, and, you know, a larger than life character. It was more like he doesn't have to do this. Is he going to be here one week and be like, Oh, this is a terrible mistake. (laughs) Like why would, why am I on with these people? (laughs) And, and I thought that was a legitimate concern. And the cool thing was we all messed really well. Uh, so it becomes like a very free, free flowing show with a lot of conversation, a lot of back and forth. And the best news we got was that Gretzky was on the first week. He was great. He was open. He was willing to tell stories about himself, which is exactly what you want. And then he wasn't there for a little while, but he was texting Rick Tockett during the shows. And he was saying, he's like, ah, oh, I, I made a mistake. I should have signed. I should have signed a deal for more shows. I should have come in. He's like, he's like, I'm watching these things. He's like, I miss it. I like it. And that was the greatest feeling knowing yeah. like, you know, like he's got his week off, but he's sitting there watching it. And he's kind of annoyed because he had something to say and he would have loved to have been on. And you know, that's sort of what our weeks are like, where there's a text thread and everyone's just on it. And usually it starts with an idea and it ends with people just making fun of each other for like 15 <laughs> minutes. It's like every other text thread. Uh, but it's it's just about the people you work with. And right now, this is a, a group of people that uh, everyone's different. Everyone's bringing something, you know, uh, from a different angle, but it, it winds up working. Well, we get to see a lot on camera, but I'm certainly sure there's moments off camera that we haven't seen. Do you have a favorite one that stood out from this past season? Oh, <laughs> God. Oh, you see so much on camera. So mm-hmm. it's not, uh, you know what? There, I'll, I'll tell you what's really cool is uh, it's such a, it's kind of a small setup at Turner. Um, it, it's not this, uh, when I worked at NBC Sports, they had this massive building and the studio space uh, spaces were really spread apart. So only on occasion did 
uh, say like a hockey analyst cross paths with a football analyst or, uh, or a soccer analyst. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I would cross paths with all of them cause I was basically doing every sport, but not the former players really didn't have a lot of interaction. Uh, here at Turner, it's much, it's much smaller. It's much more intimate. And there's just this sort of common room area where there's a bunch of TVs and a bunch of couches and everybody's in and out of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, you go into rooms and like there's Barkley and there's Kenny and EJ and they're sitting on a couch with Gretzky and uh, the baseball guys come in on Tuesday and there's Curtis Granderson. And he's, you know, talking a biz about something. And there have been so many good moments, but I, one that definitely stands out is uh, it was later on the season. I think it was actually early playoffs. So, and that's a busy time now for Turner because they're used to doing NBA playoffs. And now it's NBA and NHL, and it's every night, and we're on two different networks. Uh, and it, it, there's a lot of energy, and uh, you know everyone's excited. There's definitely some anxiety in the room. So we're trying to watch something in that common room. We have the sound on, and in the makeup room, the music is blasting. Like blasting, like like a club scene, and I'm just tuning it out, and so is everyone else. And Rick Tockett looks at me. He's like, he's like, you believe this? He's like, I can't, I can't even watch the game. He's like, he's getting really upset. And he says, he's like, Liam. He's like, go over there. He's like, tell him to turn that down. And now I know the NBA guys are in there, and I'm like, so I look at him. I'm like, uh, why don't you go? Why don't you go and tell? Him? You know what? Fine, I will. And he gets up, he walks over, and as he's turning into the door, Shaq turns out of the door and you've never seen Rick Tockett look so small in your entire life. Like Shaq just towers over him. He's like, Hey, what's up? And Rick's Rick, who was all fired up to tell him to turn the music down. It's like, Hey, uh, Shaq, what's up? Don't worry, pal. And he just turns around and sits right back down in his seat. And the music continues to be blasted. And he's just looking at him. He's trying not to make eye contact with him. Like, yeah, you're going to send me over. Yeah, I'm sure no one wanted to tell Shaq to turn that down that music. Hell no. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to have a number of Ducks games on TNT this season. You know, looking at our team here in Anaheim, what excites you about the team that we have? Right away, youth and creativity. It's uh, This is not a group, uh, and certainly not with, uh, you know, Zegris and Terry and McTavish, but Zegris specifically, that is just looking to sort of get in the league and get comfortable and dip their toe and uh, try to, you know, follow the regular path of of climbing step by step. This is, uh, there's, uh, you know, audacity, there's bravado, there is a confidence, a cockiness, uh, a way of playing the game that's creative and different and exciting. But also one that I think can produce winning hockey, Mm -hmm. which you have to have it both ways because you'll immediately get people who are like old school hockey and this is the way it's supposed to be played. you got to grind it out and score dirty goals. And yeah, that's part of the game. It definitely is. But so is this speed and flair and the ability to keep people guessing, which is exactly what a lot of the younger players on uh, Anaheim are capable of doing. It's the future of this game. And uh, I love Anaheim for that. And uh, I love the fact that what they're doing is not just, you know, trick shots during practice. It's real hockey that matters in real moments of games, in the flow of the games, and is what really is going to define the future of the NHL. So I'm excited for them. I think there's a chance for this team to make a push for the postseason. It may be a year away still. We'll see. Mm -hmm. But I think the way the NHL roles now we see teams drop up and down quite a bit uh i don't know i i'm i'm very excited i know zegers took a knock in preseason that's like the worst thing ever it, it sort of explains why the na why the nfl doesn't play anybody in the preseason when you wonder why that's why uh but i think it's a team that can scare some people and at the same time entertain and uh, that's the NHL I want to cover. You know, uh, it's a long season and I want people to show me something different every night. And that's the cool thing about the ducks. How do you see the Pacific division specifically lining up this season? It's strange to, to look at it and, and really, really look at Vegas as this wild card, right? You know, um, because we always have penciled them in 
mm-hmm. as as a playoff team and as a cup contender, and you just can't do that right now. Uh, you know, unless Jack Eichel suddenly becomes the Jack Eichel everyone thought he was going to be when he was drafted by the Buffalo Sabers, which is this generational talent that can carry uh, uh, carry a franchise. And you know, there's no saying that that's going to happen this year. Um, we've seen glimpses of it, but you know, clearly uh, there's a lot right now that's in doubt. So that changes things. I think the Kings are good. I think this is a division where, uh, you know, if you look at the Oilers, the Oilers should be right there, you know, thinking that they should be getting back to the Western Conference final. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, you have top-end talent like that. You have a new goalie. Um, you know, if you can type things up defensively, the full season now with the coach that led you this far last year as an interim I think the the wild thing here is while Vegas becomes a while Vegas sort of becomes this question mark, Vancouver to me looks like a playoff team. They really do. Uh, they're you know they were very good down the stretch, great under Boudreaux. Uh, they have a good core, a tremendous goalie, and then I think the other strange thing here, of course, is that you know you look at the West and you look at the Calgary Flames and. A team that had 200 point scores, mm-hmm. basically yeah, that one just left because he wasn't going to resign, and the other asked out. He said, "I'm going to leave, so you might as well trade me." So mm-hmm. you two guys, so you lose 200 point scores, and they may be better. They may be a better team this year because they're bringing Huberdeau, because they're bringing Kadri, and they bring in Weaker. It could be a better team. It may not be, but it's pretty rare that you could lose talent like that. Turn around, have the offseason you had, and still be better. It's it's hard to find other than Vegas. Really, it's hard to find a team that is discernibly worse off than they were a year ago. Because even Seattle should be better. I don't. You know, they're not a playoff team, but they should be better. Um, so I don't know. I, it's it's going to be tough sledding. I think it's gonna be really competitive. I mean, you know, but. Uh, outside of maybe the sharks who could be worse everyone else is everyone else is better which right now means that the sharks are going to be much better because my predictions are almost always wrong uh <laughs> but i i think it's it's a it's a division that last year it's funny i remember going into the season thinking this is not a competitive division at all mm-hmm. and because of that seattle as an expansion team has a chance to make the playoffs and you know we were uh, there were a bunch of people who shared that opinion right and we were way off like just way, way off. And now I look at, I re- <laughs> yeah, I really felt that way. And now in, in Seattle looks like, you know, it'll be somewhat better, but I don't think they're a playoff team yet. I think the division's much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I share the same interest in seeing how the flames are this season. I mean, what an off season for them. I I'm really curious to see how they gel. It's crazy. I mean, it, the flames should be picking up the pieces right now. Mm-hmm. And they should be trying to talk their uh, season ticket holders into like, hey, listen, you know, we're going to rebuild and we'll be OK. And uh, don't worry, we'll be back in a few years. But they are in win now mode again. They are in go for it mode, uh, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think that you could lose players of that quality. Um, you know, with one of them, you get nothing in return. The other one you had to trade had to mm-hmm. and you got that haul back and then sign players i mean uh, I, i'm shocked now it's a lot that has to gel in a short amount of time yep but daryl sir is a guy with a record of winning uh i think he's about any of the players that are gone uh he pivots to his players now i mean i think he was asking and players on his team and he was talking about well these players on my team i know have won in the playoffs so that's like that's all i care about which is obviously a knock at kachuk and at the same time uh pumping the tires of his own guys and i think that's what Sutter's about he, you know we're gonna we're prepared to win with what we have but I, i'm astonished at what that team did uh it, it's kind of funny to go into a season and be really excited to see what the flames and the senators are going to do <laughs> yeah but here, here we are in the fall of 2022. <laughs> well, year two for you, it's going to be hard to top some of the moments from last year, but what can we expect to see from the crew? Well, listen, I think we're going to see more of the same in terms of opening it up, having it be free flowing. You know, they're going to be a few off the wall ideas that we will attempt to pull off and pull, you know, make work on, te- on television. But I think the big thing I want to see this year is 
while everyone got along and there was great chemistry right from the start, I think there were times almost when guys were too polite to each other, started to go away late in the year. And that tends to happen when you're around each other every single day during the playoffs where the disagreements come out and they come out on air. And it usually makes for good TV, especially for people who know that at the end of the segment, there are no hurt feelings. So we're just going to move on. Uh, I'm excited for more of that. And I remember last year with very big debate over empty net goals and where you should shoot them from. And Rick Taco was, you know, just willing to go, you know, die on this hill where there was only a certain place that you could take them from and you have to do it. And of course, we have Wayne Gretzky who scored more empty net goals than anyone else. Uh, and you have Taka telling him he's wrong with his opinion. And it was such a small argument and it was in some ways very petty. But it made for amazing TV. And the best was then, from then on out, whenever anyone missed an empty net shot, we went back to it and annoyed the hell out of her talk. So uh, I'm hoping we get a little bit more of that, where, where we can harness that. And what I'm hoping is, uh, you know, we can take some of the players that we had last year who really opened up, bring them back on you know, learn more about them and then bring in some of these new faces as well. And my hope is that because even though you have younger players and sometimes they're, they're not the most talkative on air, they got a glimpse. They know they don't have to be on edge. We want to enjoy their company. We want them to be fun and uh, be funny and be themselves. So my hope is that even when we bring the young guys on, you know, they're comfortable enough to showcase their personalities. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Liam. Hey, and if you're in Anaheim for some reason this season, you're going to have to come check out the Paul Korea studio that we have here. And we have a piece of glass that we've been having all of our guests sign and you can sign the glass. Ah, very <laughs> nice. So I'll instantly devalue that glass. I, I, I love, I love when I'm like with Gretzky and the, everyone's like, here, sign this. And then people look at me and then I'm like, you don't have to have them sign it. It's all right. You can bring the whole it's, crew with you. <laughs> nice. I will. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me on. Awesome. Thanks. Now, I am really excited to see more from the TNT crew this season. Hopefully, we can get them in the studio and get them to sign the glass here. Well, it's Monday, so I'm happy to introduce a brand new segment that'll be a part of each Monday episode this season, Mailbag Monday. Thank you to everyone who submitted their questions, whether you emailed them to duckstream at anaheimducks.com or tweeted at us. So starting with Steven, we'll start with your question. You submitted a question asking what influenced the creation of Duckstream? Well, the great mind of Joey Libertori is the reason Duckstream was created. He was really the brains and executioner for it, along with many others behind the scenes here at the Ducks. The team wanted to be forward thinking and capitalize on a unique opportunity to create content for fans, also, the live broadcast stream ensures that you'll always be able to find the game in the same place, which is so nice. And of course, I was hired to be the voice, but the true ideation comes from, like I said, the talented people that are here. All right, next question. Who is a player on another team that you'd like to interview? Well, there are so many that come to mind from around the league, but I think the first one really is wild goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury. He is just truly one of the best people from everything I've heard from people around the league. He has a fantastic personality, loves to play pranks. I would love the opportunity to sit down with him and chat with him about everything on the ice, off the ice, and behind the scenes. I got to watch him on the Pittsburgh Penguins when I was growing up, so I've always been a fan of Flurry. All right, next question. Noah Warren has stuck around longer than many other top Ducks prospects. What do you see as his future potential as a Duck? Well, Noah is incredibly talented and a very hardworking prospect. Obviously, that's true for the fact that he is still here. And it's clearly paying off for him in this camp season. Drafted second round this year, 42nd overall. It's his first camp. Of course, he's going to want to come in young and hungry to prove that he can be here. And he's getting rewarded for it. I like that he's still here. Big body defenseman still has some room to grow into his size, but he's already physical on the blue line, which is something that really stands out about him. Also, he's a poised player on the ice, and sometimes you don't see that from guys that are younger. He's only 18 at the moment, but I like that he's already coming in this way. I see him playing maybe nine games this season, something like that, and then heading back to juniors. But in the future for the Ducks, I think he's going to be a great two-way player. 
Next question. Do you think Rocco Grimaldi has done enough in training camp and preseason to earn a full contract? Well, I love the local boy story here. I mean, who doesn't? A guy that grew up in Anaheim on a professional tryout with the team. He has a lot of NHL experience, which stands out to me mostly while he was in Nashville. Now, he spent the majority of last season in the AHL with Milwaukee. I think he has a shot, though. He really wants to be here. Five points in the three preseason games that he's played in. He's making a case for himself, so I think that certainly it's not out of the question. And the last question for this week, who do you see as the top contenders for the Calder Trophy this year? Well, it is a bit early to make predictions, but I think there's some bright futures for the young guys coming into the league this year. Of course, we have to highlight Mason McTavish here. I mean, his name has to be in this conversation. MVP of the World Juniors. We saw a bit of him last season as he had a breakout first game with the team and having two points. But I think the guy that also really comes to mind for me is Matty Beneers. I had the opportunity to cover him while he was playing at the University of Michigan while playing Big Ten hockey in college. And now now, granted, the college level and the national hockey level are very different, but he is a gifted talent, incredibly skilled offensive weapon, great awareness on the ice in terms of his hockey IQ. I mean, when he had the opportunity to play up last season with the Seattle Kraken, nine points in 10 NHL games, I just see him potentially having a truly stellar rookie year. But the question to me, though, is going to be whether he has enough support around him to support that offensive talent that we see. Now, remember, you can submit questions anytime by emailing duckstream at anaheimducks.com or you can tweet at us at duckstream on Twitter for next Monday's mailbag. My preview of the Pacific Division continues on this week. Today, I'm taking a look at our neighbors to the north, the LA Kings. Carlin Bathe chats with me to preview the team as well as look at the remaining games against the Ducks and Kings this week. Here it is in this next segment. Thrilled to be joined by Bally Sports West, Los Angeles Kings reporter Carlin Bathe. Carlin, thanks for joining me here on DuckStream. How are you doing today? I am doing well, Alexis. The Kings won last evening. Hate to rub it in. No, <laughs> coming off a two to one victory up at crypto.com arena. Um, making it out there mildly unscathed, but with a flat tire that got changed in the parking garage by some wonderful Kings fans. I'm back. It's Monday morning. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm good. And I'm glad to hear that you were able to get out of uh, the arena afterwards and have those <laughs> fans help you out. <laughs> it was the best. I don't know what I would have done without them. So. <laughs> well, three matchups this week of the freeway face-off. Uh, two games in LA, one here in Anaheim tomorrow night at Honda Center. So let's first start with what we saw a little bit last night. 2-1 win for the Kings, two power play goals. What were some of your takeaways from the game? You mentioned those two power play goals, and the power play is something that the Kings are actively always trying to improve. They are, as a coaching staff, Tom McClellan has kind of talked about how they're all responsible for each other's duties. So while you may think, oh, this one coach was always responsible for the power play. If it's not going well, it's his fault. Todd is a very, no, we are by committee. Yes, maybe someone does have a deeper focus on something, but when something goes wrong, it's a collective fault. So the power play this season, it's under Jim Hiller. He's a new um, assistant coach for the Kings. And we're getting a look at it during these preseason games. Now, there's only so much you can focus on while you're at camp and kind of tending to special teams. There's some bigger picture things that the coaching staff kind of have to pay attention to, like how people are performing, who maybe end up ends up on this final roster. So special teams getting the mild attention that it's gotten and performing the way it performed last night was impressive. And seeing power play goals from Adrian Kempe, I mean, that's in his wheelhouse. That's exactly what we want to see. He's picking up right where he left off last season. He had a career year in goals, scoring 35 on the year. You know, we want that from Adrian Kempe. But then, you know, we're getting production from the second unit as well. Arthur Kaliev got that second power play goal, had an assist from TJ Tynan. And it was just those guys that you want to see have a good showing in the preseason. And it was nice to see. Granted, all of the action came in the first period. So all three goals, <laughs> by both, you know, the Ducks and the Kings 
that all happened in the first 20. So the, the last 40, not to say we were waiting for some action, but it was just nice to see right off the hop. And, you know, the score stayed as it was for the next two periods. Yeah, the Kings really tested John Gibson and Nett uh, for us last night, and I thought I thought he did a pretty good job of stopping, you know, what he could. So he's an all-star goalie. Yes. You know, he also I give I give goalies the benefit of the doubt. I give any any veteran player the benefit of the doubt during preseason too, and I think fans should as well. I'll notice comments like, "Oh, so and so looks slow," or "So and so looks out of step." This preseason isn't for the vets the people that have secured their positions, uh, all-star goaltender like John Gibson. Mm-hmm. This preseason is for that young group. It's for that group to get their legs going. It's for the coaching staff to get their lines in mind. Unless someone is egregiously, completely out of step, rarely would a veteran have to 100%, you know, put on a full show for the staff. So I love to like kind of remind fans, hey, this isn't for those guys. <laughs> this is... <laughs> This is for those young ones. So if they are not at John Gibson elite status, I give them a pass on that one. Well, this is going to be your fifth season covering the team. Can you talk a little bit about how that this rivalry has evolved in your time covering the team in LA? It's strange because it's always there no matter who is on the team. So the personnel changes, top players change, but there's always that innate hatred, I guess you could say, (laughs) between fans. The fans are what keep it going. So the fans fuel the noise in the arenas. The fans are the ones talking, you know, smack to each other on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and Reddit and whatever else you can find them talking. But they're they're the ones that fuel the fire. And then you can tell the players pick up on that, even if they're newer to the rivalry. So I would say it ebbs and flows. Like maybe that rivalry and hatred in my fifth season wasn't as strong as it was when Nick Deloria and Curtis McDermott were going at it a couple seasons ago. When the personnel changes, the bad boys change up a little bit. It kind of has a dip in the ebb and the flow. So right now, I would say it's a mild hatred. And I would say there's room for potential. So if, if there's if there's some um, scuffles, I, I could imagine, in the regular season, you'll see that rivalry pick right back up where it's left off. Doesn't matter who's on the team. Doesn't matter if it's uh, two new players who've never seen each other played against one another. If they can spark it, it'll catch fire just because of the fans and, and they're just waiting and ready for it. Now, looking at the Kings, they're coming off a season where the team made the playoffs for the first time since 2018. What has the energy been like with the group so far? So the group energy was incredible last year granted they had a few key injuries to some star players that kind of made you wonder oh my goodness can they do this without them so they lost Drew Doughty they lost Sean Walker those defensemen maybe if they were in the lineup they could have helped secure passing past that first round um, who else was out as well? It was Drew Daddy, Sean Walker, Victor Arvidsson, one of our top goal scorers, him getting injured as well. It just was an unfortunate situation, but to see what the younger group of people were able to do, were able to step up and get in there. I don't want to quote this because <laughs> it's been a while and I haven't looked at my notes since from last, um, from that playoff round, but I want to say we were throwing out this number. It was give or take 10 players with zero playoff experience were playing in the playoffs for the first time that season. So it was an impressive amount of young people just getting in there, getting a taste of playoff experience. Um, Jordan Spence, a young defenseman who had this opportunity to step in because of those injuries and showcase his best game. I was talking to him a few days ago when we were doing some, some preseason sit downs, he'd never attended an NHL playoff game, even as a kid. So him stepping into a playoff game as an adult, that was his first one he's ever seen, he's ever been to, he's ever watched, ever played in. And it was in Edmonton of all places, which is, I'm not even joking, Alexis, the most nutty, incredible, off-the-wall, bonkers place for playoff hockey I've ever seen. It was was insane. Canadian playoff hockey is is incredible. (laughs) But the energy was high, and it was... um, you would expect it even higher had they had a complete full healthy lineup for for the kids to come in, do what they did, get to a game seven and give it a good run. 
you can feel that energy kind of carry over into the season too. Well, the team has some talented young forwards. Uh, how have they stood out to you through training camp and this preseason? There are a multitude of forwards that I think, I mean, you say young, right? So I, I do think of the Arthur Kaliev's and the Rasmus Kupari's and the Gabe Velarde's. And I also think of, you know, the Phil, Phil Deneau's and um, just Trevor Moore's. Those guys are coming back off of this playoff run, mm -hmm. off this first round, you know, exit. But we have those guys that were building chemistry last year and looking to continue building chemistry upon what they had started building last year, if that makes sense at all. Yep. So, <laughs> so you've got those guys. We've called them bubble guys. Jared Stoll and I were talking on the broadcast last night about them. Velarde, Kupari, Fagamo, and Anderson Dolan. These are what we consider bubble guys. And these guys have the experience we know what they're capable of. This camp is to showcase their skill like we were talking about earlier and to make the coaches make a decision on who maybe ends up in that opening night roster. So they've got a lot to do, a lot of work to do during this preseason. Um, Jared Anderson Dolan, he's been also used as a winger, but he's been used as a center. So he's trying to find his own game kind of wherever the coaches place him. Um, Vagamo was hopefully a potential line mate for the two I mentioned earlier in Trevor Moore and Phil Deneau. Um, with Victor Arvidsson out, they need to fill that spot on the second line and find a, a comparable winger. So Gabe Velarde, another person who could maybe slot in there. Um, and he's playing some really good hockey as well. So Gabe really stands out. Fogamo stands out and I'm just glad I don't have to make these decisions of who makes it to the opening night roster. But yeah. And then, like I mentioned, those two older guys as well, they're not even old. They're all young, right? <laughs> we call them older, but those two, it's just nice to see two newer guys to the Kings franchise, um, build what they were building last season and pick up right back where they left off again this year. And Kevin Fiala was acquired from Minnesota back in June, signed a big seven-year deal. What kind of leadership do you see him providing to this group this season? Well, in terms of leadership, I think he can provide a good, hey, watch what I can do, let's do it together type of role. You know, I'm not familiar with him as um, a person or a player in the locker room like these guys are. I, I will work on getting to know him and his game throughout the season. Mm -hmm. But just from what I've seen from him in Minnesota, his production, his production speaks for itself. He had a career year last year and he did it on the second line in Minnesota. You know, we all heard about Kirill, the thrill Kaprizov and what he was able to do. Well, he, Kevin Fiala got those points without being on a line with Kirill Kaprizov. So number one, that speaks out to me. Mm -hmm. Number two, we need his power play abilities and he's already showcased what he can do out there on the power play. It's going to be nice to see how that transfers over into the regular season. And he's probably falls in that category of guys that don't have to go at a hundred percent in the preseason, because we kind of already know where he's going to slot in. He's going to have a home on the top line playing against center Andre Kopitar. Adrian Kempe will be on the other wing. And I think his play will be that sort of leadership that, people can kind of look at him and say, oh, he's playing his heart out tonight. I got to raise my play. I got to meet him where he's at. And hopefully it makes the team better. But um, I'm really excited to see him. He's he's one of those missing pieces where our GM has so carefully curated just a few missing pieces and placing them into the perfect spots that have just filled the Kings with exactly what they need. So I know fans are scared of the word rebuild, but the whole time the Kings kind of use this word retool mm -hmm. since, um, since their cup years and since kind of having to work things around a little bit and a retool is really what they did. It was never a full strip down, never a full tear down. And it's been working out. So this, this season Fiala kind of adds that extra, extra piece where they go from being expected to make the playoffs to maybe possibly being expected to contend once they make the playoffs. So that bar, the expectations are raised. And to answer your question in the longest way, I feel like that's how he's going to leave this season. <laughs> 
Well, when you look at the Pacific Division this season, I mean, there's been a lot of changes with some of the teams that are in it in terms of moves in the offseason and everything. And I think that it's going to certainly be very competitive this year. How do you foresee it from your eyes kind of shaking out this season? I'm already still not used to Seattle being a team in general. <laughs> and maybe it doesn't feel real to me because I haven't I haven't worked a game up there yet for some reason. Um, I've always I've always ended up like either hosting from home or um, I think a national broadcast has had like had the game, but so Seattle to me, it feels like a dream. <laughs> so that's always, um, that's going to be something to get used to still this season in their second season. Um, I think the Kings have some tough new rival in, in, uh, Edmonton. Now, I think that's going to be tough to kind of compete against Calgary with the players that they lost, but then also acquired, they're going to be a team that's going to be tough to compete against as well. And the Ducks, you know what? You guys can surprise people. You have such a young, good group of of really young prospects that should they find themselves in the lineup or have an opportunity to showcase what they have, I honestly feel like the Ducks can can surprise people with just their competitiveness this season. So I don't even look at teams as, oh my goodness, everybody has to be competing to get to a playoff spot to be troublesome for the Kings. I almost look at it like as long as they're a competitive team, anybody in the Pacific division, whether they're going to make the playoffs or not, whether they're on track for 90 plus points or not, they can give the Kings a hard time just based on what they're able to kind of bring to the table that night. And the Ducks can be one of those surprising teams, I feel like, especially down the stretch. If they want to play spoiler, they could. <laughs> That's scary to know that. <laughs> Well, I'm certainly excited to see how the season works out here in Anaheim for us. And I'm excited to see you as well this week. So thank you for joining me today, Carlin. Absolutely, Alexis. Welcome to SoCal again. So excited for you. Thank you for having me on DuckStream. This was an honor. It's time for my final quack, where I leave you with my last thoughts before closing out this episode. So... Make sure to come out to the final preseason game at Honda Center tomorrow night, which is Tuesday, against the Kings. The puck drops at 7 p.m. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I'm Alexis Downey. Make sure to come back next time for more hockey talk right here on DuckStream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on DuckStream.